This message was presented through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. We have a very important topic we'll be covering this afternoon. Uh, this is the part of track distinctive Adventist message. The title is The Sanctuary 1844 and Beyond. Uh, it's a very difficult topic, and this is a topic we will be studying for the next two hours. How many hours? Okay, so you're going to promise me something. Please do not fall asleep. Please do not what? If you get tired, and I've been preaching enough, and here's the thing, when you're sitting there, it seems like I don't see you, but I see you. Amen? Amen. And you all see me, yes? Uh, and it's distracting, and it's, I, I completely understand because I fall asleep all the time. I have Asian eyes, so my eyes actually close at a faster distance than all of you. Uh, so I, I understand. If you do, you can just, just slowly excuse yourself, totally go to the bathroom, get a drink of water, Go do jumping jacks in the back. I totally understand, but don't go through the suffering of falling asleep. In the, in the, it's, it's, it's painful for me to watch. And when that happens, my, my carnality rises up, and I want to embarrass you in front of everyone. And so that's, that's not God-like at all to do. Uh, also, if you have your Bibles here this afternoon, okay, you might want to have some notes and a Bible. We will be covering some things through the PowerPoint because I put the Bible verses up there. But there are some Bible verses that I did not put up there, and I want to just go through Scripture because it's a lot more fun that way. Amen, everybody? Uh, And I want to really get into the Word today. We will not be covering elementary Adventist principles because I'm assuming that you know these. How many of you are not baptized into Seventh-day Adventist Church? Okay, that's okay. Uh, you're, You're amongst friends. We still love you. And then we will not be covering advanced Adventist theology as well. We will be going into a little bit of Greek. Amen, everybody? And a little bit of Hebrew. Is that okay, everybody? Okay, but not too much. It's all going to be English because that's the language we're going to speak in heaven. So we'll all be understanding that. Okay? Amen? I knew somebody was going to say something. Uh, If we don't speak English, the Americans will not be able to communicate with anybody. So we have to speak speak English. Before we start, we're going to have a word of prayer. Uh, Any announcements, anything we need to get, any business we need to take care of. Friends, come on in. Come on in. Uh, do not be out of the door or in the door, or, or no, be out of the door or in the door, but not in between the doors, because that is mediocrity and Laodicea and in the middle, and, and uh, I'm just kidding. You can stay there if you want. Okay, let's have a word of prayer, everyone. Please bow, bow your heads with me. Gracious Father, you have been so good and merciful to all of us. Father, Father, from the weather to the food to the accommodations to the fellowship, Lord, everything has just been so sweet. But, Father, we ask for the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. Illuminate our minds. Vivify our intelligence. But most of of all, Lord, uh, speak to our hearts. May the Lord Jesus speak from the throne of heaven into our dark, cavernous hearts. Lord, this is a very difficult subject Perhaps a very confusing topic, but Lord, we want to uplift Christ here this afternoon. And I ask for the ability to do so. I ask for the understanding to exist in this room. All for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uniqueness of the sanctuary doctrine. I don't know about you, but I get very, 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 very excited when we talk about the sanctuary doctrine. Yes? 
Now, you'll have to forgive me. I, I'm an American. I, don't, I know I don't look like a normal American, but I was told that in, in Europe, it's, it's not an emotional place, and you can't get too excited, and then you just have to be very boring and just talk about like this and very monotone. But I realized coming here that not all Europeans are that way. Amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, amen. And so I, I get really excited, and I think the emotional value... Uh, is attributed not to the braininess of the material by the in- intellectual stimulation. I mean, I'm an Asian or Oriental, as you talk about. I, l- I love studying the word. I love memorizing the word. I love getting into the nitty-gritty and doing calculations with the calculator and dividing by whatever and subtracting. But more than that, uh, in my confusion as a Seventh-day Adventist, sometimes as a young person, it's easy to get discombobulated or confused with all that's going on. And so I just want to just get, get a clear picture of Jesus Christ through all of this. And the clearest mechanism to see this is through the sanctuary doctrine. The what doctrine, everybody? Sanctuary. Okay, when I ask you questions, it's not to insult your intelligence. I know you heard me. It's just to keep you guys alive and connected. And so entertain me by just, um, just repeating what I say. What I say, everybody? Okay. okay, that was difficult, but that's a good job. Okay, the uniqueness of the sanctuary doctrine of all the denominations... Uh, we are very, very different and very, very weird. Amen, everybody? <laughs> not, not so confident there. Uh, amen? Amen. Um, the, the reality is, are there other people who believe in the Seventh-day Sabbath? Are there other people who believe in the same state of the dead that we do? Are there other people who are healthier than Seventh-day Adventists? Are you sure? Are there people who believe in a heavenly sanctuary doctrine like we do? This is the one unique component of Seventh-day Adventism. And I believe the irony is this one unique doctrine is the clearest expression of Jesus' ministry and tells us what Jesus is doing right now. This is the golden question, yes? All other denominations... Either believe Jesus on the cross or the Jesus of history, but we still believe in a living Jesus Christ upstairs in heaven. Amen? Okay. Now, we also believe in a Jesus on the cross, but that was in the past, but we still do not believe that he is still on the cross now. Amen? Amen, 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 amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, good. So, the, the sanctuary doctrine starts in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 and 9. This is a Bible verse that you must not know. You must memorize. You must what? Memorize. memorize. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may what? Dwell Dwell among them. You see, this is the heart of God. God wants to dwell amongst us, but because he's got nuclear radiation holiness coming out of him, if he were to come down here, we would be irradiated and completely be, be vaporized. So he says, hey, build me a biohazmat containment suit, a containment field, a containment building, so that I may be able to dwell among you. And that word dwell in Hebrew is the same root for the word Shekinah glory. Have you heard that before? Okay. So God wants to dwell. In, in, in John chapter 1 verse 14, the word dwell is there as, as well. Go to John chapter 1 verse 14 if you have your Bibles. John chapter 1 14. Okay. John chapter 1, 14. Hurry up, 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 too slow, too slow. I beat you there. Chapter 1, verse 14. The word, are you there? You're too slow. Verse 14. The word was made flesh and what? 
dwelt among us. Okay, dwelt among us. That word for dwelt, at least in the Greek, in the Septuagint, is the same word dwelt found in chapter 25, verse 18, verse 8 of Exodus. So any Jewish person who is reading the Gospel of John, we're like, bing, bing, bingo. Exodus 25, 8. John is making a statement that Jesus is the new sanctuary. Back in the olden times, it was the containment field, the hazmat suit of the sanctuary. In the New Testament times, the hazmat was what? The flesh of Jesus Christ. Amen? The incarnation was the sanctuary in itself. Verse 9, according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and of the pattern of the instruments, pattern of the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. So what happened is Moses is, and I don't know how it happened, don't ask, but he's having a vision or he's sleeping and he has a dream or, or I don't know if God's on a DVD program, I don't know. But he sees a vision of heaven, yes? And in heaven, he sees a heavenly sanctuary, and he is to reproduce what he saw here on this earth. Amen? Revelation 13, verse 6. Now, here's the thing. There are entities on this earth who are, who are against this sanctuary. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 6 of Revelation. The beast opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his what? tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven Daniel chapter 8 verse 9 one of them out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed exceedingly great toward the south east and pleasant land verse 10 it waxed great even to the host of heaven it cast down some of the host and of the stars of the, to the ground and stamped upon them verse 11 get this he magnified himself even to the prince of the host and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of his sanctuary was what cast down there are entities out there. You may know who some of these entities are. They're the antichrist power, the beast power, the, the bad guys out there. Now, we're not talking about the individuals, yes, but we're talking about the systems of theology. This is a theological discussion. There, are, there is a particular denomination out there. Do you know who I may be thinking of? Okay, keep that to yourself. That particular denomination believes not the people are innately evil, but the system of belief purports that there is a sanctuary in heaven, but that sanctuary in heaven is, uh, is not important or it's null, it's void, and we must take that sanctuary in heaven and what? And bring it down. Now, it says cast down. Can anyone literally go to heaven and be like, hey, God, we're going to take the sanctuary, we're going to throw it down on this earth? No. What this means is this model in heaven is going to be identically reproduced here on earth, and it's going to overshadow the ministry of the heavenly sanctuary. So, can you think of a place, a big, holy place, where you walk in, and the first thing that you see is a cleansing laver, a pool of water. You walk in a little more, and there are some candlesticks. There's a table with some bread on top. And then there is, I don't know, an a, 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 a incense thingy where smoke goes up. And then the actual presence of God is understood to be in that building. Do you know of a place like this? Now, I read that in Europe that many, many cathedrals are dying. And the three things that Roman Catholic cathedrals are becoming today, today is, number one, they're becoming Muslim mosques. Two, they're becoming Chinese restaurants. And three, they're becoming strip shops, where girls, gentlemen's shops, where girls do whatever. Okay? There are cathedrals all over Europe that are old vestiges that when you walk in, when you walk in, that you actually have to step over something and you enter into a new world. Time stops in this place. How many of you have ever been to a cathedral? Do you love it there? 
I love it there. Okay, I went to a Catholic school for four years. I'm not a Jesuit spy. Uh, if I was, would I tell you if I was? No, I won't. Uh, and, and there's something about, and, and, and the great conservation talks about that there's something about the senses that appeals to the colors and, and glass and then some ugly statue that looks really scary and then music going on and smoke and then you just feel like you're in all, and then what happens is you naturally Hey, do you have the program? What time is it? Whereas you go to an Adventist church, you go like, hey, what's going on? Happy Sabbath. Did you bring the veggie meat? No veggie meat? Ah, oh, no veggie meat. Oh. There's something different. Yes? There's something different. Now, in, in, in the Roman Catholic form of theology, the actual presence of God is in that place. You understand? The actual presence of God. Not a representation. Now, you know, as Seventh-day Adventists, when you go into the sanctuary, if this were a church, there is nothing holy about this wall. There's nothing holy about the carpet. There's nothing holy about the, sanct- the seats. But we must maintain a sense of reverence. But it is not a sanctified place, you understand. Amen. But the, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6 says, it's when God's people come together, the congregation of God's people makes the place holy not the actual building in itself. Amen? Now, I remember when I was in Catholic school, and I'm not making fun of them, this is actually what they said, because I was Seventh Day Adventist, and I was arguing with the priest every single day during theology class, is there was something called consubstantiation and transubstantiation. How many of you guys know those terms? Okay, in German, it's consubstantiation and transubstantiation. In French, it's consubstantiation. It sounds very similar. You'll get it without translation. Anyway, you have these two things. And they said, and during a 10 o'clock mass, an announcement would go on. It said, mass will be at 11 o'clock. If you have any bubble gum or any food, empty your stomachs one hour before mass. And I'm scratching my head. I'm like, this is so weird. Why do I have to empty my stomach before mass? Then I realized in the Reformation times, there's this humongous debate. And you guys know that you have these, uh, the priest goes up and he holds a piece of bread. You guys know this? These little wafers, these waffles, or whatever they're called, they're made by these monks. All of them in the whole world are made by these monks in France. And they, it's just globalization, according to the Catholic Church. And they raise this. It comes in a plastic bag, and they raise it up. And they say something like, it sounds, in Latin, it sounds something like hocus pocus. Okay? This is where, why, the magicians make fun, are essentially making fun of the, the Roman priest. And they're like, uh, hocus, it's, it's something else, like hocus, pocus, whatever. I mean, they make fun of it. And what happens is, according to a transubstantiation, this piece of bread it no longer becomes a symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ, but actually becomes the flesh of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? And then what happens is, because, and you know that verse, Christ in me is to live. Well, they take that quite literally. Christ needs to be in you, your stomach. You understand what's happening? So then I'm thinking, ah, this makes sense. You must clear your stomach one hour before because Jesus, if he's in your stomach, must not be mixed with anything else. Okay? Now, I'm not making fun of this is I actually asked this question, like, is that why you need to clear your stomach one hour before? And it's like, according to the catechism, yes. Whatever, whatever, and it gave some, like, whatever reason. Da, 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 da. Huh, very interesting. And you cannot chew the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when you see on watch TV or if you ever been to Mass, sometimes you are not worthy to touch the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So if the priest is here and the priest is the, the representation of Jesus on this earth, he gets to touch Jesus. And some people, if people come up and they go like, and they place it on your mouth. And when it's in your mouth, you cannot chew the Lord Jesus. How dare you chew him? But you slowly, and this is according to them, you need it to melt in your mouth and slowly slide to the back of your mouth and dissolve into you. And then, then, then your sins are forgiven and then the sanctific- sanctification starts. And da, 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 Do you understand? There is an entity, a misunderstanding. A misunder- and many people are honestly mis- misunderstood. Yes? Amen? They're sincere Christians. So sincere. And they want a sanctuary experience. But they don't know about the heavenly reality and they rather see a earthly reality. Well, friends, what happens when you have some left over? When you have some bread left over and you have some wine left over, this is still the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. What do you do? Okay, Seventh-day Adventists, as a tradition of respect, we, we pour it and we, we bury it and we do, you know, blah, blah, whatever we do. Adventists don't do that. <laughs> Catholics actually put it back into a, into a special container, and they take this container and they go into the back room, only of which one person has access. Who is this person? And he goes in, and there's a little cabinet, a little golden medicine cabinet or silver. I don't know what it is. I've never been there. And he opens it, and he puts it in there, and that is where the presence of God is at. Not a symbol, the actual presence of God. So that's why when priests are are walking from this side of the church, and they need to get to that side of the church, they stop in the middle, and then they what? They kneel, and then they go forward to acknowledge that the presence of God is in that place. The whole, there's a huge debate in the Reformation times because people would come for Mass. And the whole point is, I think you should all visit Mass, amen, just to see what, 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 what is going on, okay? Don't become Roman Catholic, but just, just see what's, what's going on. Okay, don't say Pastor Kim at GYC said go to Roman Catholic Church. Anyway, <laughs> and see, but as a Protestant, there's a, there's a moment when this, 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 this bread goes up and they say whatever they say, and it becomes, at that moment, it becomes the body of Christ, when every Catholic kneels before divinity. And during the, Roman, uh, during the uh, Reformation time, every reformer, every Protestant says, we refuse to what? To kneel. Simple little gesture, but that gesture is a statement of their, of their resistance to, to this belief. Make sense, everyone? everyone? Now, here you have in verse 11 that there is a system that's coming, and the place of his sanctuary was, was what? Cast down. Verse 12, a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of certain transgression. It cast down truth to the ground. It practiced and it prospered. Then I heard one saint speaking. Another saint said unto that was certain, that certain saint which spake, how long shall the division be? Da, 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 da. Verse 14, 2,300. We'll talk about this a little bit later. Okay? Then shall the what be cleansed? Sanctuary be cleansed. Now, the question is, what is Jesus doing right now? This is the question that, that, that should be preeminently on our minds. Many Christians today don't know what Jesus is doing. They think, ah, he's preparing a place for me in heaven. How many of you know that verse? I go to prepare a place for you, and and if I go to prepare a place for you, I shall come back. So is Jesus building mansions for us? Is he an interior design decorator thinking, you know what? Michelle would like pink carpet. Let there be pink carpet. Green, you know, curtains and glass. Ah, oh, this will be a perfect mansion. Ah, Justin would like a blackout. Let there be a blackout. <laughs> is Jesus busy building condominiums in heaven? 
So when he's preparing a place, what does that mean? Anyway, you'll see here in this, this chart, John wrote a book called the Gospel of John. We call that John 1 or the Gospel of John, yes? This describes Jesus' ministry while he was on this earth. And by the way, the book of John follows through the sanctuary as a model. In the first chapters, it says, Behold the Lamb of God. When you enter the sanctuary, what's the first thing that you see? The Lamb of God. Then he says, hey, I am the water of life. I am the light of life. I am the bread of life. Then he goes, he prays for the, the, the disciples. He's actually using the sanctuary as a roadmap in the book of John. Then the book of Luke, 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 Luke chapter 1 is also talking about Jesus' ministry and is talking about Jesus' human uh, uh, components. But get this, they both write two books. John writes a sequel called Revelation, and this takes place right after Jesus ascended to heaven. Revelation is revealing what Jesus is doing in heaven. The first scene in Revelation chapter 1, where is Jesus? We'll cover that. In Luke, chapter, uh, Luke book 2, or the book of Acts, it's talking about while Jesus is in the sanctuary, what is happening on this, on this earth. So the, these, these are parallel. And by the way, this is for free. Matthew is connecting Jesus with the, with the what? The Old Testament. That's, that has anything to do with the sanctuary. That's just there because I'm a nerd, okay? <laughs> Heavenly sanctuary, okay? Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. This is a verse that's very, 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 very clear. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the who pitched? Lord pitched and not? And I love this verse because I was in seminary and there's this old, old, old professor. He was so old. And some people, old people, they say things that are so exciting, yeah, because they're so old, right? And he leaned forward, and he had, a, he had a mystical accent. I think it was French. You know, just really like, and he said, Do you know what the heavenly sanctuary is made out of? So now in the seminary class, everyone's raising their hands like, It's made out of brick? No. Gold? No. Glass? No. And you just, this, everyone's like, What is it? And then you have these smart guys. Is it a philosophical, ephemeral, you know, uh, 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 it's, is it just made out of, you know, some kind of ideological whatever? No! <laughs> and the French kind of, they have that nasally no. It's not no, but no. <laughs> Are there any French people here? <laughs> We're going to talk about forgiveness in the sanctuary <laughs> a little bit later. And then eventually all these students are giving these answers. Get da 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 and we all kind of gave up. And he says, do you really want to know? And everyone's like, yeah. So he leans forward. And then we lean forward. And he whispers, it's made of heavenly stuff. <laughs> the reality is, this is in heaven, amen? And if we're not careful... We can be very like, what is it made out of? How many holes? How many bricks are there? And, and are there avenues to do that? Yeah. Don't get into that, amen? Sometimes heavenly things are made out of heavenly stuff. And that is as accurate as we are going to get on this side of heaven. Let's go with God, what God has revealed and see what is the Christological emphasis on everything. That is a theological way of saying is, where's where who? 
Christological emphasis is a theological way of saying, where's Jesus in all this? Amen? Yeah? David Asterix's message last night? Yes? Okay, good. I don't know if you guys were there. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. It was the Lord perish and not man. The sanctuary. This is the sanctuary. We're not going to go into all the details, but here you have the outside wall. Here you have the altar of sacrifice, the cleansing laver. Here you have the, the most uh, uh, holy place, most holy place here. This is the table, uh, table of showbread. This is a uh, golden candlestick, altar of uh, incense, and that's the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Now what's important is this side is, is north. That side is east. This side and that side is south. In the Western frame of reference, because we have compasses, we always refer our dominant direction is north because our compasses point towards north. In the Hebrew mind, the point of, of reference is not north, but it is, is east where the sun rises. And all pagan temples were, 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 were it's very interesting. You'll see these pagan, pagan temples. Sometimes they're not straight with the rest of the village. Sometimes they're at this weird angle. And many, many archaeologists, why is that this weird angle? Well, they realize when the sun comes up, this temple always faced the, the sun. And these temples were created. Sometimes they would have like these black, uh, these, uh, the back wall would be completely open or the more modern ones were made out of stained glass that on I don't, Sunday morning around 11 o'clock, not 12 o'clock because 12, the sun's right on top, but around 11 o'clock, that's when they're like kind of like mid-morning. So then the sun would come and all the worshipers would be able to face the, the sun. Early Catholic uh, cathedrals were made so that they, they copied these pagan temples and then the priest would come up and he'd raise up the, 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 the Eucharist bread and then the light would shine on this thing and he would say, you know, whatever words and it would be this mystical experience, yes? This is all the system put together. The, the Hebrew sanctuary did not face, face east, but it faced what? West. And the early Seventh-day Adventist churches, at least in America, were also faced what? Just to, just to be, like, weird. So you go to these old churches, and it's really weirdly made. Like, the parking lot is, like, on this way. But to get to the, to the front door, you got to go all the way around, and you got to go this way, and it's, it's very weird. Now, because of building code, we don't do that anymore, okay? Okay, this is the inside. You have the table of showbread. Oh, we just said this, altar of incense and the golden candlestick, okay? This is a photographic representation. Not a photographic, a computer-generated image uh, of the inside. You have the candlestick here, showbread. You have the 12 loaves here. You have the Ark of the Ark of, Altar of Incense. And here you have the Ark of the Covenant. And we don't know if it went actually this way or if it went this way. If it's the way, the way that they showed it on the picture now, it's very difficult for the Jews to put the Hebrews to put it in there and to take it back out. So some people say it's actually went the other way. Okay, that's a nerdy thing to say, but if you, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, then just ignore me. Okay, the, book of, the, the sanctuary is found in the book of Revelation. Now, we're going to go through some of these verses. Now, here's the most important thing. The most important book that every Christian, and more so every Seventh-day Adventist, must study is the book of Revelation. It is the most important book. If there's one book you're going to study, study the book of Revelation. But in order to understand the book of Revelation, you need to understand Genesis through Jude. So then now we need to study what? Genesis through? To understand the book of? The reason is, is the book of Revelation is the, the most wonderful master, like the wonderfully written masterpiece of, of all literature. Uh, the book, uh, there's a book called, uh, what is that book called? 
Odyssey by James Joyce. How many of you heard that book? It is a thick book and is one of the most difficult books to read. It's considered to be a masterpiece because every line is a reference to another piece of literature out there. So in order to understand James Joyce's uh, uh, Odyssey, Ulysses, 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 to understand Ulysses, you need to read like a billion other books. Because if you don't read the billion books, you won't understand James Joyce. You understand. In many ways, it's like an in, the book of Revelation is an inside joke. It's a what? I'm not saying the book of Revelation is a joke. I'm saying it's like an inside joke. Do you guys know? Is, is inside joke an American colloquialism? I don't know. An inside joke is an is a, is a inside joke. Okay? <laughs> For example, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know um, Michelle here. Yes? Yeah, I know you, right? Okay. She and I know each other. Amen, everybody? Is that, is that cool? I don't know anyone else here. I know, I know, I kind of, anyway, I know her, and we have a context that exists before this context. Yes? So when I see her, I'm going to say, hey, Michelle, how's it going? Hey, remember, and I'm just going to make something up, okay? She's not going to know what I'm talking about. Remember the time of the bananas? Ha, <laughs> And she's going to be like, ah. And in, in our minds, we know what's going on. We, have, we know a story of bananas. But all of you, listening into our inside context, are going to think these Americans are insane. <laughs> yes? And I don't, I don't know what's going on. Why are they so happy? They, this is just weird. <laughs> and you're going to go eat an orange or whatever you're, okay? The book of Revelation is thus. And that's why a lot of people who only study the book of Revelation have a very, very difficult time. All these weird things pop up. Yeah, there's, there's these three frogs that come in Revelation. Why three frogs? Well, frogs are green, and what's green? American tanks are green. These three frogs, these three frogs are three American green tanks, and they're going to go to the whole world. America's going to conquer the world. That's, that's one interpretation, yes? There's a lion. Who's the lion? Lion is who? England. There's a bear. Who's the bear? Russia. Then there's a leopard. Who's leopard? I don't know. Where are leopards? Af- Africa is the leopard. Then you have the beast. Who's the beast? America. We don't like America. We're making the beast, you know? You make up your own interpretation, and it gets really, 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 really weird. Is this clear? So in order to understand Revelation, we need to understand the book of of Genesis through through Jude. And then what happens is, immediately when you read the book of Revelation, you'll see that we are in a location here. Go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. Are you there? It's the last book of the Bible, friends. Chapter 1 is the first chapter in most translations. <laughs> chapter 1, are you there? Okay, we're going to start from verse 10. Okay, verse 10, are you there? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a what? A great voice as the sound of a what? Okay, now just, just, just put that in the back of your mind. Okay, a voice. You see a voice, yes? Then verse 11, he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, and all those things. Verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw what? Saw what? If you had no context on the sanctuary, what would you think when you read this Bible verse? Oh, this must be Jesus' seventh birthday. Oh, they're having a birthday party. Oh, this is seven candles. Oh, that's so nice. Oh, it's Christmas. But those of us who understand Genesis through Jude know like, hey, there's something about candlesticks in the Old Testament. 
This must be that Jesus is where? Which room in the sanctuary? Okay, you guys are familiar with the sanctuary, right? We don't have to go through all that again. Okay, okay let's keep going. Then, verse 13, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, like unto, unto the, uh, blah, blah, like one unto the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to the foot, a, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Who wears a golden girdle? Priest. So we see here that, hey, this theory of him being in the holy place, well, he's wearing priest clothing. This must be so. He's in the holy place. Is this making sense? Okay. Verse 14, his head and his hair, all wool and stuff. 15, and all his feet. 16, all this stuff. Uh, 18, uh, he's alive, dead, and okay, all these wonderful things. Okay, chapter 2 and 3 talk about the what? Seven churches. Now get this, okay? I know this is this just, uh, just bear with me. Here's Jesus. He came into the sanctuary, and uh, well, before he comes into the sanctuary, there is the altar of sacrifice, and there is the cleansing labor. These two components represent the ministry of Jesus while he was on this, this earth. He provides a fountain of blood and a fountain of water. It is epitomized when Jesus was on the cross, a Roman dude comes up with a spear and, and, and pierces his, his side, and what comes out? Blood and water. This is where Nicodemus is like, whoa, this guy is the manifestation of all the, of, of the Old Testament prophecies. This is amazing. Now, this was all outside, and the other thing was, these two things were not made out of gold. They are made out of, does anyone know? Bronze, brass, copper, coins, whatever translation, but it was something that looked like gold, but was not gold. The other thing was, this was on outside soil, representing this was Jesus outside of heaven, meaning here on this. And all of a sudden, Jesus enters. Jesus hangs out with the 12 disciples, and he ascends to heaven. He goes upstairs, and finally, he comes into the heavenly sanctuary. He comes into the holy place. And here on his left, he sees seven golden candlesticks. The seven golden candlesticks represent Jesus' ministry. The priest's job was to stare at seven golden candlesticks. Yeah? Why? To what? He's just looking at it all day. These candlesticks were not made out of wax, but they were made out of oil and wicks and whatnot. And when the oil runs dry, what happens to the, to the, to the, to the, um, to the flame? So it's the priest's job to make sure the fire is always is burning. It is Jesus' job. And we see that there are seven churches. And you know this. These seven churches represent seven periods in Christian history, but they also represent seven types of churches out there. Yes? How many of you are from an Ephesian church? Don't raise your hands. You have the truth. You are, you are, you are, you've been Adventist this entire, your whole life, but you have no love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a Smyrnan church. You've been persecuted. Everywhere you go, you're, you're a poor little church, and you try to do everything, and everyone blames you, and you, and all the time. Maybe you're Pergamos. Maybe you're trying to do something right, but you're compromising, you're kind of worldly, and you're trying to appease everybody. Maybe you're Thyatira. You have a horrible church. You're like worshiping like demons in, in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Maybe you're Sardis. Everyone's falling asleep. How many of you from that church? Okay, you look around and everyone's falling asleep. Like the eyes, like some of you are looking more Asian right now, like getting like <laughs> down and down and down. Maybe you're from Philadelphia, like super loving. Or maybe you're from Laodicea, like totally like whatever. <laughs> are you from Laodicea? Yeah. As an era, we are in the Laodicean era. Yes? But in all these churches, churches, whether you're Philadelphia or Thyatira, who's in the midst? 
is Jesus in the midst of horrible churches? Yes. And is Jesus' job to make sure the fire is still going on in each of these churches? That is Jesus' function, and it does his ministry while he's at the seven golden candlesticks. Amen? Let's keep, keep on going. Let's go to chapter 4. Chapter 4. Okay, chapter 2 and 3, it's about uh, revel- uh, the seven churches. Okay. Are you guys still with me? I think this is so easy. I love Revelation after understanding through the sanctuary. Chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Is anyone confused about that? Many people see that and they're like, wait a minute, I thought we were already in heaven. So what happens is this. Jesus is up in heaven. There's the, there's, there's the seven candlesticks. And when he lights the, 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 the candlestick in Ephesus, the first one, even though there's a fire going on in heaven, the repercussions of that fire, I do this. This is like a lighter. I, I don't smoke or anything. It's just, when he does this, <laughs> okay, when he does this, even though the fire is on in heaven, the repercussions of that fire on in heaven are, are affected where? On this earth. So he turns that fire, boom, Ephesian church comes about. He turns this one, boom, Smyrna comes about. He turns this one, and it goes through the eras of, of, of Christian history. Make sense, everybody? And now we were on this earth. Now we're going to back to, or back to heaven. We're going to see what's going on there. Chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. By the way, the secret to Bible study is to look for repetition. To look for what? Repetition. And the Bible does it over and 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 over again. It does what? It repeats. Okay, did you get that? Can we do that one more time? One time I was driving from New York to, to, to Michigan. And in America, we have long, big roads. And I wish it was like Germany where the Audubon has no speed limit, but we value our, our lives over there, so we, we have speed limits. <laughs> And I don't know about you, but as a male, once you get in a car, you feel like you are the master of the universe, yes? Okay, ladies are like, I don't understand this, this male impulse. <laughs> the men are like, yes, <laughs> we understand. Okay, so you sit, and I, I remember sitting there one time. This is a 15-hour car drive, okay, long car drive. And, you know, you put your sunglasses on, your, your hands are perfect, your, your back seat is perfect, your chair is perfect, the music is on a nice sanctified, you know, music channel, and then the, the air temperature is perfect. My friend was there, and my friend's little brother was there. We, ca- we, we have no girls on road trips, okay? Once you go, you go. You never stop. <laughs> no food, no sleep, and no bathroom. <laughs> no bathroom. Only gas, because you need to go, right? So that's why girls never drive with us, okay? So we're going, we're going, we're going, we're going. And as we're going, all of a sudden, this kid little brother in the back says, I'm hungry. I see the girls have sympathy already. (laughs) But as a male, I said, no. (laughs) We will go. And I said, no. I'm really hungry. I want to eat something. Can I have some French fries? No. We're going. (laughs) God, no! And he was upset. Then he got really, really quiet. And when little children are quiet, very dangerous time. <laughs> we're driving, we're driving, we're driving, we're driving. And all of a sudden, he says, one! Really loud. And I'm turning around like, one what? One what? What did he say? And he, his brother, I don't know. One what? He's like, he was mad. 
Or whatever, little kids, you know, whatever. Keep on going. <laughs> Three. Three. Seven. Seven? What's, what's seven? Are you a bomb? Are you going to go off? What's, what's going on? We were scared. Fourteen. Seventeen. Eighteen. Twenty-one. Thirty-two. And we're just driving. We're like, we're trying to figure out what's going on. He wouldn't say a word. He was really, really mad. So I turned to the side of the road, and I'm like, hey, hey, I'm so sorry. Hey, we'll get you something to eat. Hey, why, 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 why are you counting? What's going on? Okay, I have a very low curiosity threshold. Okay, I need to know what's going on. And he started crying. I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry, man. What's going on? I just want to eat French fries. Okay, we'll get you French fries. Why are you crying? The number that he counted was how many restaurants that we had passed that sold French fries. In his mind, he was so fixated on French fries, he could not enjoy anything, and the only thing he saw was restaurants that sold what? French fries. So you see a McDonald's, one! A Burger King and a Wendy's, three! Another Burger King and a McDonald's, like five! And he's, he's going insane. Now, in chapter 4 of Revelation, we're going to look for some French fries. Amen? Verse 2. Verse 2. Are you with me? Verse 2. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, one that sat on the the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. And around about the throne were 24 seats, and upon the seats were 24 elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Verse 9. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. What is the French fry of Revelation chapter 4? Did you you guys notice that? Because when I read throne, I kind of emphasized a little bit. (laughs) to give you guys a hint that this might be the word that's repeated. Did you get that? Okay, good. The key verse is found in verse 5. Out of the throne proceeded what? Lightnings and what? Okay, so lightnings and thunderings go together because you guys know lightning and thunder is the same thing. When, when the lightning uh, comes down, you hear the thunder, okay? But now you have lightnings and thunderings and what? Have we seen voices before? In the book of Revelation, have we seen a voice before? Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, there's a what? Okay, so what we see here is this. Jesus goes over to the the seven candlesticks, big voice. Now, the next piece of furniture that he goes to, we see in verse verse 5. Okay, listen very carefully. Out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were what? Seven lamps of fire burning before the what? The throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We see that the table of showbread was the article of furniture that was on the other side of the seven uh, lights, the seven candlesticks. And what, this, what the Bible is saying is on the other side of the seven, uh, uh, seven lights was the throne. 
Now, a lot of people think, well, the throne must be the what? The most holy place. But we see that the table of showbread was also another place for the throne of God. We see that the table of showbread, when it was created, there was a crown round about it, which symbolizes this is the place where only one person sits. Who sits here? Jesus sits here. And then also in the most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant also had a crown round about it. We also see that in this place, according to Isaiah chapter 14, you guys go to Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14. This is really, really, really good. Isaiah 14. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Chapter 14 is after chapter 13. (laughs) Verse 12. If you're there, please say amen. Amen. That was quick. That's good. Your speed is increasing. Verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? You guys have heard this verse before? Okay. And then he says, How you are cut down to the ground, which weakened the nations. Uh, Verse 13. For thou hast said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my what? My throne above the stars of God. I will, I will sit also in the mount of the congregation, and I will sit where? In the sides of the? Where, on what direction is this table of showbread? It's on the northern side. This area, this entire sanctuary, is the throne room of God. So what happens is Jesus comes up to heaven. He goes to the seven, the seven candlesticks, boom, seven churches. He comes to here, and this is the throne room. This is the throne area. And boom, right after this, and the Revelation has seven, 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 sevens, yeah? Seven, can, uh, seven churches. After he comes here, what is after that? The seven? Read it in your, in your, in your, in your uh, subject headings of, of Revelation 4 and 5. What happens after this? After this, you see the seven seals are being opened, okay? Revelation chapter 5. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Okay, you guys still with me? Okay, Revelation chapter 5. Everybody is asking, who is worthy? Who is worthy? The French fry of Revelation chapter 5 is worthy. Okay? Everyone's like, who is worthy? Who is worthy? He's not worthy. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. Who's not worthy? And while they're getting worried, Jesus pops on the scene, and they say, ah, he's worthy. What happens is, back then when you became a king, they would give you a covenant book, a scroll with, with seals on it, and only the king was allowed to open the, the seals, the scroll. So when Jesus comes, he, he, he comes and he's like, hey, you're worthy. And he's opening these seven seals. And every time he opens these seals, something happens in Christian history. Okay? These seven churches are going on at the same time as these moments. And this ministry, Jesus is still king. He's worthy to be king of the universe. Amen? Here, Jesus is in the midst of the church. Here, Jesus is worthy to be our king. Amen? After the seven seals, guess which furniture item Jesus will be there? Which which is the next item that he'll be at? The altar of incense. Okay, so let's go. Let's go go to chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. The Bible says, I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given how many trumpets? 
seven trumpets. So now Jesus moves over here, and it says in verse 3, Another angel came and stood at the altar. That angel is Jesus. Stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which is before the throne. Okay? Now I'm going over this really quickly, just to get an overall general sense of what's going on in Revelation. Okay? So here Jesus comes here, and now this, this, this article of furniture's function is, to, is, is, is intercession and prayer. And what happens is this. When Jesus is at that place, there's seven trumpets are going on. Trumpets was an old, uh, old Testament sign that when you're in trouble, you blew a what? Whatever. I don't, I don't know if it's like the brass trumpet or the horn trumpet or whatever. Hey, I'm in trouble. Get me out of here. Okay? And whenever these trumpets would, would, would sound, somebody would come help. Our trumpets today are what? Prayers. Bingo. Our prayers. And by the way, your prayers, if you do not pray in Jesus' name, they come out of your mouth, they go up to the ceiling, and they come back down, and it says 404 undeliverable. Yes? Your prayers have no access to heaven. Did you know that? You have no right to be praying. to You are unholy, and you cannot get into holy. Your email, have, there's no connection. No Wi-Fi connection to heaven. But if you use Jesus' name, and Jesus, whatsoever you ask in my name, it shall, I, shall, it shall, I, shall, I shall do it, or it shall be given unto you, according to whatever version. Okay? Meaning, you go to gmail.com, and your username is Jesus. And you use the password. I don't know what Jesus' password is. He has no password, yeah? You just use whatever. And you go into your Gmail account, and you write an email. And the two box, you write, God the Father. And in your, in, your, in, your, in your email, you write, Dear Father, uh, and you press click. What happens to that email? If it was under your username, it would go nowhere. But because it's under the name, the username of Lord Jesus, it goes through the Wi-Fi of all of space, and it ends up on the computer of the altar of incense and Jesus. Bing, you got mail. <laughs> Pops up. And he reads it. And what happens is Jesus takes that email and he forwards that email to who? To God the Father. Meaning we have the best email client, the best Wi-Fi connection, all through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Now he's been doing this from 31 AD to, to 1844. These three things. And these three things are all happening at the same time. Now get this. This is so cool. This is so cool. Okay? Verse 3. Verse 3. There was given him... Uh, unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Uh, get this, get this. Are you guys with me? Yeah? Verse 5? This is so cool. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire, fire of the altar, cast it into the earth. There were what? Voices. Have we seen voices before? And then there was thunderings and lightnings. Have we seen that before? And then what's after that? An earthquake. Where in the Old Testament do we see voices as a trumpet, uh, 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 an earthquake, and then thunderings and lightnings? Mount Sinai. Meaning this Mount Sinai experience is happening all over. Did you know that the Israelites also had a sanctuary experience? This, the, the Israelites were walking through the sanctuary. When the Israelites first started their journey, did they have an experience with lambs and blood? Yes? 
Then they keep on walking. And then did they have experience with water? And then they keep on walking. And then now they arrive at where? Mount Sinai. Yeah? And then he had this golden, golden candlestick, which ironically looks a lot like the burning bush that Moses had an experience with. Then at Mount Sinai, God says, we're going to eat together. And he says, sanctify all the leaders. We're going to have a meal together. And then what happens here? Moses prays on behalf of the Israelites. They're having a a, a sanctuary experience. You see this. okay? So Jesus is doing all these things. Now let's go to Revelation 11, verse 19. 11, 19. Are you still with me? Isn't this exciting? Okay, if you said no, then... We still love you. Verse 19, verse 19. Okay, chapter 11, verse 19. Then you have the seven, eight, seven trumpets go through. Okay, verse, chapter 11, verse 19. The temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the what? The Ark of the, the, Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testament. There was what? Lightnings. Have we seen lightnings before? There was voices. Have we seen voices before? Thunderings, yes. An earthquake. But what's the new thing? A great hail. So Jesus enters in, seven candlesticks, comes here, seven seals, comes here, seven trumpets, and then he goes into the, the most holy place. When, when, when the Israelites were at Mount Sinai, was there great hail then? At Mount Sinai, was there great hail? Okay, I love your, your confidence, but if you look at the actual account in Exodus, there was no hail at Mount Sinai. But there was another Old Testament story. Remember, you guys, from Ar- Uncle Arthur. Uh, did, did he talk about another time when there was hail? Okay, you guys have said something, but you're afraid that I might shoot you down, and you're, you have rightfully, you, you should be afraid. Uh, one other time where hail is mentioned is when the plagues came down on Egypt. This is the time of judgment. Yes? So what happens is, now this is the time of judgment in the most holy place. We're going to talk about this. Is it clear what Jesus is doing? Now, here's the thing. Some people say this. When Jesus entered into the most holy place, did his ministry in the holy place stop? Some people are very afraid. When Jesus came into the holy place... Did, the, did, did, uh, did his sacrificial act on earth become uh, null and void? No. It keeps on going, yes? Now, while Jesus is here and he moves over here, does his ministry effects of the holy place become null and void? No. That also keeps on going. Amen, everybody? Is that clear? Okay. Let's go here. This is uh, from Great Controversy, page 409. Let's read it. You promise to read this, Yes. I don't know about you, but when I, when, I read, when I see LOI quotes that are really big on the screen, I like, uh, go like this, okay? Do you promise not to go, uh? Okay. The Bible, uh, not the Bible, the, whole, the Spirit of Prophecy says, The scripture which above all others had been both the foundation and the central pillar of the Advent faith was the declaration unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be what? Cleansed. Daniel 8.14. These prophetic days had been shown to terminate in the autumn of 1844 in common with the rest of the Christian world. Adventists then held that the earth or some portion of it was the... They understood that this cleansing the sanctuary was the purification of the earth by the fires of the last great day. That this would have take place, would 
that this would take place at the second advent, hence the conclusion that Christ would return to the earth in 1844. This is why they did all the calculations, 1844 pops up, and they're like, ah, sanctuary. Ah, sanctuary is earth. And that's where you get the mistake today. But after today's presentation, you know that the sanctuary is not, but, amen? So don't make that mistake again, amen? Amen? Okay, let's keep on going. Sanctuary message. It opens a complete system of truth. It unlocks the great disappointment. It sets us apart. It reveals what Jesus is doing in heaven right now. And it is essential to the Adventist identity. Some denominations only care about the courtyard Jesus. They only care about Jesus, the Lamb of God. We call these people evangelical uh, Protestant Christians. They're only into justification alone. There are some people who are only into Jesus' holy place ministry. They're only concerned about sanctification and not the heavenly sanctuary, but sanctification through the earthly sanctuary. We call these people Roman Catholics. Then there's another group of people who are focused on what Jesus is doing inside the most holy place. And there's only one denomination that knows what Jesus is doing in the most holy place. Do you take, care to take a guess who that might be? Jehovah's Witnesses? <laughs> Mormons? Seventh-day Romans? <laughs> Seventh-day Adventists. Very good, very good. Here we see that the sanctuary message has been attacked in Adventist history. Okay? Uh, unfortunately, and this is if you don't like Adventist history, just take a nap right now. If you don't like when adults are fighting, take a nap right now. But what I get really excited about is I, I like when people, people fight. Okay? Now, not when people fight about like, ew, you smell. No, you smell. I don't like you. I don't like you. And then like, ah. That's not fighting. That's immature stupidity. Amen? One, we need to be honest with Scripture and see what is happening and, and, and deal with the reality of, of, of where we are. Amen, everybody? And when it comes to doctrine, let's be doctrinally minded. I get so, so annoyed when some people say, hey, this is a youth conference. This is a youth ministry. Young people don't care about these things. And I'll say, hey, I'm a young person. I still think I'm a young person. Am I a young person, everybody? I'm a young person, right? I'm a young person. I'm still a young person. I'm a young person. I am still, and I, was, I, was, I would love these things about I, I'm, I, what happens and all these things, but all these things have, have, have results, have, have effects, have, have repercussions on my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes? And when it comes to doctrine, some people say, hey, we don't need any more doctrines. Let's stop fighting over doctrines. And I appreciate the sentiment. There's people who want to just have some peace. That's okay. That's cool. But doctrines are not some little, uh, I used to think doctrines were like, like, like pieces of paper, like, like uh, old, old German. I don't know why German, but German pieces of paper that are really old. And then it's like printed by Martin Luther, yeah? And it's like the old font that you don't know, you can't read. Yeah? You know what I'm talking about? And this is the doctrine of the sanctuary. <laughs> and we must keep the doctrine of the sanctuary. Ah, doctrine, you know, and, and you roll it up, holy doctrine. That's not a doctrine. That is a weird German accent. We're going to talk about forgiveness, okay? So we're, yes. 
doctrines are clarifications on who Jesus is. Every doctrine. And if it doesn't clarify who Jesus is, and some people say, hey, doctrines don't matter. What they're saying is, it's not important to clarify who Jesus is. Meaning you can believe whatever you want, and that's Jesus for all of us. And I have a huge problem with that, because that's not my Jesus. That's not a personal relationship with my Lord. That's just a personal relationship with whatever spirit out there. Okay? That's really weird. Okay? Now, have Adventists in the past gotten so nitty-gritty that you only talk about doctrines as if it was a holy, holy scroll? Yes. Our, that's, our, that's in our history. And that's unfortunate. But let's get real, and let's look at history uh, and, and see what they talked about. And in the 1860s, there was a guy named B.F. Snook, W.H. Brinkerhoff. I'm sure that's not the German accent, but he wasn't German. He was American. 1900s, there's Dudley Canwright, A.F. Ballinger, John Harvey Kellogg. In the 1930s, there's L.R. Conradi and W.W. Fletcher. In the 1960s or 1980s, there was Robert Brinsmead and Desmond Ford. If you look at this, apostasy or attacks on Adventism happen every 30 years, about. Something happened from the 1930s and the 1980s, about 50 years passed, because the world war has gotten between, and everyone focused on something else, and they came back, and then the heresy comes back in 1980. How many of you know who Desmond Ford is? You heard of him, okay? Desmond Ford was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. He's an Australian dude, and, I'm, and he's so brilliant that I know students, former students of his, former Australians, that said back in those days they had no, uh, I don't know if they had a DVD, I'm sure they didn't have a DVD in the 1980s. For sure. Did they have a CD in the 1980s? No. They had books in the 1980s. That's what they had. Anyway, there's something called an Ellen White Index. Yes? And back then, if you wanted to look something up on Ellen White, you had to open a book and like, ah, in alphabetical order and like look through it and like, ah, and there it is. And, and it was a real pain. Today, just type it up in your phone and you can get it. Okay? Now, back then, they said, don't look at the index. Just talk to Desmond Ford. He can probably do it faster than a book anyway. Meaning he knew where everything was in the spirit of prophecy. This guy was so brilliant. Humongous brain. And because he was such a humongous brain that one-third of the pastors in Australia left the Adventist church. Had a very convincing argument. Okay? Today, I'm going to present to you his arguments. Are you ready for this? Now, if you're not ready for it, then you can, you can just close your eyes or become Asian or whatever you want to do, okay? Uh, but for me, I think this is so important because this gives us strength of who we are today. It gives, it gives us confidence. And then, I mean, I want to tell the world about the Jesus that I know. But if there's these arguments going in the background, we can either say we can become an ostrich and put our heads in the ground. Do you guys know ostriches? You know, do you have ostriches here in, in Europe? Yes. You do? The, Oh, in the zoo. Yes, yes, yes. Very, very good. Oh, that's a witty answer, sister. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. Or we can, we can meet them head on. We can meet them head on. Desmond Ford was such a brilliant person that I think a lot of people respect. And I don't know about you. I'm an intellectual snob. Yes? I, I, if, if you're smart, I just like you. <laughs> Let's talk. And if you got a PhD, you're awesome. If you have a PhD, THD, you're like, <laughs> you're, you're closer to sanctification than I am. Uh, <laughs> But Great Controversy, page 599, says this. And this is what's amazing. Okay, this is amazing. Okay, and this is long. You guys want to read this? Yeah? Okay, good. Many a portion of Scripture which learned men pronounce a mystery, which learned men pronounce a mystery, or pass over as unimportant, is full of comfort and instruction to him who has been taught in the school of Christ. Get this. Get this, get this, get this. 
one reason why many theologians have no clearer understanding of God's Word is they close their eyes to the truths, which what? Which they don't, they don't what does it say? Which they do not wish to, to practice. As understanding the Bible truth depends not so much on the power of intellect brought to the search as on the singleness of purpose, the earnest longing after righteousness. So when you're reading Scripture, if you're like me and like, hey, I want to learn more information, more information, I need to learn more, <laughs> you will not arrive at truth. Amen? It is not intellectual capacity, but what she's saying here it is it is the capacity of the what? Of the heart. A desire for righteousness will allow you at spiritual truth. Amen? We're going to take a five-minute break. How many minutes, everybody? And with German-Austrian precision, come back here in five minutes, and we're going to look at the arguments of, 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 of some of these guys. Okay? Okay, come on in. Let's close the doors. Oh, that's no, let's keep the doors open. Uh, let's just make sure we don't bother the... Uh, oh, we. I'm the only one talking, I guess. Okay, come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Did you have a good break? Did you need it? Okay, okay. Thank you for your candor. Appreciate that. Let's get started here. Let's have a word of prayer, but let's get started and, and get our minds acclimated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we pray, not as formality, but Lord, just to ask as uh, we've taken a break. Uh, Lord, we don't want to take a break from spiritual things, but Lord, just realign, recalibrate our hearts more, more than our minds, Lord, uh, to be focused and thirsting after the righteousness of Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, declare to us what you would have us do today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, from the first half, and uh, this is just for warm-up, uh, what are some things you guys will remember from this first half's presentation? Just say it out loud. Raise your hands or, or whatever. If you don't speak English, then just say it anyway, and someone will translate it for you. Okay? What's that? Okay, John, John, Gospel of John was here. Revelation was upstairs. Yeah. Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Okay, good. Repetition. Rep- repetition. Good. She learned a little too well there. Yeah, brother. What he's, doing in, uh... what he's doing in heaven right now. Okay. Anyone else? What are some things you remember from today? Prunes. Prunes. Truth. Thrones. The thrones. Oh, the thrones. Thrones. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I am hard of hearing and, and, and deaf. Yes. French fries. French fries. Yes, yes, yes. We praise the French for those. Anyone else? Anyone else? Heavenly stuff, yes. Anyone else? Anyone else? The sanctuary experience. Okay, I missed the first part, but sanctuary experience. Anyone else? Seven seals, yes. Anyone else? No hail. Okay, okay. Judgment language with the hail, yes. Very good. Anyone else? Desmond Ford, okay. I'm sorry? Trumpets are our prayers. Very good. You look at the trumpets. Those trumpets are moments in Christian history where, the, where God's people ask for God's intervention, and uh, he helps them de- uh, defend them. And there's a huge, huge discussion on that. Excuse me. That's a whole other seminar altogether. Anyone else? What do you remember from this half, first half? Yes, in the back with a hand raised. Jesus in the midst of the churches. Okay. Anyone else? Very good. Anyone else? 
Okay. Now, the mo I think one thing that I perhaps omitted to say is, as, as I'm listening to what you guys are saying, is one, one, one important thing is this. Jesus' ministry here at the candlestick, Jesus' ministry here at the table of showbread, and Jesus' ministry here at the uh, altar of incense are all happening at the same time. Yes? Uh, these sevens, these sevens, and those sevens are not chronological in sequence, but they're going concurrently at the same time, paralleling. Okay? The reason, only reason I say this is because all these, these things are happening at the same time. Some people believe they are concurrent, meaning the seven churches happens first, then right after seven churches are the seven seals, then after seven seals are the seven trumpets. And some people say, wow, if the seven trumpets are last, then the most important thing we need to understand now are the seven trumpets, and then the seven trumpets must be happening right now, and then they start having these weird, you know, America green frogs uh, interpretations. Amen? Okay? We do not believe in American green frogs. Amen? Amen? Okay. It's too quiet that I wanted to make sure that we are on the same page. Okay, let's keep on going here. Because of the sanctuary message, the Adventism has broken apart into different groups. Uh, I don't know how strong it is here in Europe, uh, but in America, this is very, very sharp. In the, before 1960s, Adventism was in two camps. Either you are a Seventh-day Adventist or you are a backsliding Seventh-day Adventist. One of the two camps. You either believed in the sanctuary or you did not believe in the sanctuary or the investigative judgment or the spirit of prophecy or the state of the dead or the second coming of Jesus or veggie meat. One of, one of those things, okay? But after 1960s, and 1960s is when there was an evangelical shift of the church. In 1990s was when there was a cultural shift in the church. And if you want to get into Adventist history, there's another topic altogether. But there's something called, there's a group called Evangelical Adventists. And evangelical Adventists basically say we need to reduce the Adventist message to its most basic part, the gospel and the gospel alone, but that gospel message is not the gospel of the biblical gospel, but only to what the evangelicals understand it to be. If we're using sanctuary language, it's just ministry of the what? The courtyard. Okay? Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. Game over. We go to heaven. Okay. Once saved, always saved? Okay, good job. <laughs> Goodbye. You know, that's, that's basically, and, I, and I'm just, I'm, I'm being facetious, but that's basically in a, in a soundbite what evangelical Adventists are about. Then you have progressive Adventists. Progressive Adventists do not believe in the full inspiration of Scripture. They believe that the Bible is not the Word of God, but the Bible contains the Word of God. Is there a difference between those two statements? In one camp, they believe that every word is inspired by God. We do not believe in a verbalistic inspiration. Uh, Does that mean that when God said, oh, then he's, oh, oh, okay? But everything here was placed. The meaning behind it is from heaven. We must have full confidence in that. Amen? But there is another group within the church that says, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We need to figure out what parts are from God and what parts are nya, 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 nya. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? And if we may have, if we're not careful, we may have tendencies to think, well, that was the culture back then and that was the language back then. Now, that some of these things are true, 
but the basic truths behind some of these mechanisms are still inspired nonetheless. Amen? Amen. Okay? Now, there's, there is progress, not, not, uh, not progressive Adventists, but they're in a similar uh, uh, kind of, kind of uh, uh, world. Is, uh, there, there's something called the Jesus Seminar. How many of you heard of them? They're very popular in, in Europe, in, in England, per se, and then they, they start in California. There's a bunch of scholars, and it's so weird what they do, is they sit around in a, in a platform like this, and they all have marbles. They all have what, everybody? I don't know why they have marbles, but they have marbles. And then they, they have on the screen a particular Bible verse. And then the host says, how many of you? And these are all scholars, top-notch, PhD, THD, DHD, DDD, D, whatever, DDS. That's a dentist, but anyway. They have, a, they have a, a, a screen, a Bible verse. And he says, how many of you think this is an inspired verse of the Bible? And when you have, when you, if, I don't know what the colors are, but if you think it's inspired, you put a red marble in. If you think it's not inspired, you put a blue marble in. And they collect all the marbles, and they bring it to the front, and they empty the marbles, and, ooh, it looks like we have more blue marbles here. Congratulations, ladies and gentlemen. This Bible verse is inspired. And they go to the next verse, and they do the same thing, same thing. And then they have a revised Bible edition that only has the inspired parts of Scripture. Now, is there something weird with this? But if we're not careful... We may be subscribing to the same way of thinking, even though we're not part of the Jesus Seminar. What happens is, Lord, I may not understand with my mind, but I'm going to try to understand with my mind, but I subject my mind to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So bless me now. And Ellen White says, every time we read Scripture, we must always what? Pray. And get this. Get this. I wish I had this verse. This is for free. I didn't mention it in the other seminar. There's this, there, she says, in this one particular time, she says, don't study the Bible because it may hurt your faith. You know when she says that? If you study the Bible and not pray beforehand, she says, don't you dare go on holy ground because there's a lot of people who study Scripture and because they have a doubtful frame of reference, the more Scripture that they study, it deepens not their faith, but it deepens their doubt. She says, don't you dare study the Bible. I'm like, ah, that's so crazy. Every time we read scripture, we need to what? Pray, 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 pray. Then you have historical Adventists. Historical Adventists are those people who are like, man, the history of, of the history of Adventists. Those were the good old days. Yo, uh, yo. <laughs> they didn't say yo. This wasn't 1990. They 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 believe that uh, the Adventist Church was pure. But now it's degraded, and now we're all evil, and now we're, we need to go back to the good old days. Now, if you look at, have an honest look at Adventist history, there was some awesome, godly, spiritual pioneers back then, but some of them had a weird view of Jesus Christ. Some of them were semi-Aryan. Some of them had weird beliefs on, on prophecy of Daniel Revelation. Uh, Uriah Smith had some th- interesting views on some things here or other. And so if we go back to their days, we haven't really, we're not getting any better than, than we are today. Amen, everybody? And sometimes they take it to extremes like, hey, we need to dress like them. We need to sing like them. We need to have our haircuts like them. We need to take tablecloth and make that into dresses and then walk around. And, and that's not very fashionable today to be. Then you have uh, uh, biblical Adventists. That's what we all are here today. Amen, everybody? The problem is everybody thinks they're a biblical Adventist, right? <laughs> How many of you are going to say, I'm not a biblical Adventist? Don't raise your hand. We don't want to call you out. Okay? But the point is, biblical Adventists are those who study the, not just for their minds, but they experience the Lord Jesus Christ through this, and they're living this out. Amen? And then lastly, you have separation Adventists, 
and these Adventists are found on the liberal side and the conservative side. The liberal side and the conservative side, both. If you get so left in the church, you become super what? Right. If you become super right, you can go all the way around, you become super left. And what, what I call them, I call them is uh, Jihadventists. Have you heard of Jihadventists? <laughs> Jihadventists believe that the Adventist church is Babylon, that we need to go in there. And with bombs attached to our body, just going to, like, you know, purify the church and explode people out, you know, kill, kill pastors, resurrect new ones, and do weird things. And, and, and I'm being facetious again, but they believe that the church is an apostasy right now and needs to be cleaned out. Does the church need a little cleaning here once in a while? Sure, but that's every church, amen? And here's the thing, and I love this. This is from Mark Finley, and today is his birthday, by the way. Did you guys know this is his birthday? He said this one thing that gave me so much encouragement. <clears throat> I can't do, I'm not going to imitate Mark Finley because he's here. Uh, but <laughs> Noah, you guys know Noah. He's known with his, all his animals, yes? Okay. You have an ark. And in the ark you have Noah, Miss, Mrs. Noah, uh, and then Ham, Shem, Jeff, Japheth, and Mrs. Ham, Shem, and Jeff. Can you mention Mrs. Ham? <laughs> <laughs> you have these people. And you have all the animals in the world there, yes? Yes, 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 yes. Then what you do, because it's raining, and by the way, if you study scripture, it wasn't raining. There was an ocean in the sky that fell. Okay, this wasn't like pitter-patter here and pitter-patter. Like, it was like an ocean fell out of the sky. But because an ocean is falling out of the sky, they closed the windows. So just use your imagination. Eight, pe- eight people, all the animals, closed the windows. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, with animals, animals leave behind gifts. Yes or no? And then they're in a boat. Boats are on water. Water is like... Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes or no? So imagine an animal poo smoothie going on. But at, in the world at that time, where is the safest place to be? In the animal smoothie. Sometimes the church can seem like an animal smoothie place. Sometimes. Amen? Sometimes. Should it be that way? No, it should not. But is it sometimes? Yes. And as young people, let's have the maturity to look beyond the animal poo and see the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Does it smell bad? Does it feel bad? And by the way, I'll stop. I won't go even further. But is there an end to that experience? Yes. It will stop raining. Amen? The rain will go down. Amen? And then the, pool, and the windows will be open someday. Amen? And you can go out and take a shower and be happy with Mr. and Mrs. Noah. Okay? Argument number one. This is from, this is from Desmond Ford. And, and all these guys, even though they pop up every 30 to 50 years, they essentially have the same argument that pops up. And what I'm giving you today is I'm distilling all these arguments, just a very simple way of understanding it. Okay? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. It's up on the screen here. The Bible reads, which this is uh, Paul, I believe, who wrote the uh, book of Hebrews, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters into that within the what? Veil. Veil, Whither the uh, forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, 
made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, how many of you totally got that? Or how many of you just like, no, 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 okay? When I read that, I go, no, 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 no. Who is Melchizedek? We won't talk about Melchizedek. But the point is, in verse 19, there's a word what? Veil. And it says, within the veil. Within is the old, old British way, old English way. It means inside the veil, yes? So what this verse is saying is, when Jesus went to heaven, he went through and inside the veil. Okay? Now, the question is this. In the sanctuary... You have the outside courtyard. This is just a wonderful stage. It's perfect for this. Maybe outside. Then there's a veil. Then you go, you, you go inside the veil, and now you're in the holy place. Table, uh, uh, candlestick, uh, incense. Then there's another veil, and, you, and, you, and, and only one person is allowed in the veil. Who's that one person? The high priest. And then you go in here. Okay, Two veils. Inside veil and the outside veil. Well, this verse says, when Jesus went to heaven, he went through the veil. Question. Seventh-day Adventist, which veil is it? First or second? Good Seventh-day Adventist. And this is what the church said for many years. It's the first veil. It's the first veil. When Jesus went to heaven, he went to the holy place through the first veil. Clear, everybody? A guy comes along and says, No. Let's look at the Greek. And in the Greek, we're not going to look at the Greek, okay? But if you look at the Greek, the word for the first veil and the second veil are two different words. Separate words. In English, it's the same word, veil, 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 veil. Whereas some, some people say whale. <laughs> the, the V becomes a W. Anyway. <laughs> and Seventh-day Adventists said, hey, it must be the first veil. When you look at the Greek, it is not the word for the first veil is the word for the second veil. Is anybody having a heart attack? Like when I read that, I'm like, <laughs> I'm having an existential crisis because it's the second veil and not the first veil. How many of you are flipping out? How many of you want to like just commit? Car- <laughs> this is a shocking revelation. Isn't it? Well, if Jesus went to heaven and he went directly into the holy, most holy place, that, that means there is no holy place ministry. That means there is no 1844. That means there is no, there's no cleansing of the sanctuary. There is no, whatever we talk, there is none of this. Just Jesus went to heaven. Game over. Why are we Seventh-day Adventists? Why are we here? Let's go home. Let's go to the Lutheran church down the street. They have better food down there. We can eat whatever we want. <laughs> Amen? No. no. Good. Good response. <laughs> no man. No man. No man. <laughs> Classic response to this. One response is, oh, hey, uh, I'm not smart. I don't care about the Greek. I'm just going to become an ostrich. I'm just going to go back to my potluck veggie meat and not worry about these things. Second response is, no, you're wrong. You're an evil person, Desmond Ford. You're the devil incarnate. You're the Antichrist. I'm going to, like, you know, you know whatever. <laughs> or the third response is study the what? Before you study the Bible, you want to? Pray. So 
We praise the Lord. If you guys want to get into advanced Adventism, okay, and that sounds like class title. I don't mean to be a class title. But read something called the Darkom series. Darkom is not some evil robot, okay? Darkom <laughs> is an acronym standing for the Daniel and Revelation Committee series, okay? It's, it's uh, produ- produced, published by the uh, BRI, the Biblical Research Institute. And it is some heavy reading, but it's some good reading. And it's not very difficult to read. And I think all of us, if you are 18 and older, you're able to read this and understand it, okay? I heavily, heavily recommend it. Seven volumes, Dark Home Series. And this is the thing. In a small, itty-bitty, small kind of a weird, 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 small, small, weird kind of a way, I kind of am kind of in a small, weird way, thankful in a very small, weird way of Desmond Ford. Because he brings this up, and then now we have an opportunity to clarify and strengthen our belief system. Is that clear, everyone? Is that, is that fair to say? Okay. We don't believe in something that's made up by men. We're, we're, we have a solid biblical ground here. Well, what's the answer? Oh, here's the other verse he brings up. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the what? Through the veil. Okay, same exact thing. You think this is the first veil or the second veil? All 11 said, well, it's the first veil. No, it's the second veil in Greek. Ah, second heart attack. Okay, having a high priest over the house of God. Okay, well, what's, this, what's the solution here? If you look in Numbers chapter 7 and in Exodus chapter 40, the high priest would enter into the holy place, most holy place only once. But there was one other moment in the history of, of Israel where the high priest would enter into the most holy place. We call this event the inauguration. The what, everybody? The inauguration was a moment when the high priest would have some blood and he would walk into the most holy place And this was a way to sanctify, to inaugurate, to start, to commence. This is when all the, you know, you remember the stories when all the girls got their like pocketbooks together and got all the the mirrors and they made the mirror into a, into a, the cleansing laver and all the, they brought the, 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 the the clothing and they made them into the skins and the, 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 the curtains and the men all brought the, the thingies and they all bit the, do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Okay, I'll be more clear. (laughs) When all of Israel came together and they donated some of their stuff and they built, a, they built the sanctuary. Remember that? Okay. Everyone's volunteering. And they finally built the sanctuary. Boom. Now they need to, they need to, they need to, um, to say yay and, and, and bless it and, and, and sanctify it. Okay. In the Western world, when the, when the boat goes off, what do they take? They take a bottle of devilish alcohol and then they smash it against this boat and that's supposed to bless the boat. Yes? You know this? You know this? This, 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 this custom. Well, back then, it only happened once. The high priest would take some blood, and he would go, and he'd apply it to the Ark of the Covenant. He'd come out, he'd apply it to the table of showbread, the Ark of the Incense, and uh, that thingy, and then the, 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 the candlestick, and apply it out. And this was a way, in my imagination, this was a way they turned on the instruments of the sanctuary for the first time. Okay? They're turning it on. So he's going on, and just imagine, he puts a blunt, charging it up. And once the, the sanctuary is on, it's like, from that point on, God's presence would come, and he would now reside in a sanctuary. Okay? 
after he inaugurated, he never inaugurated ever again. It's a one-time shot. Make sense, you guys? Okay. So then for him to do this, a high priest would have to enter the which veil? The second veil. And if this is the high priest entering the holy, the heavenly sanctuary for the first time, would he have to inaugurate the, the heavenly sanctuary? Yes, he would. Now, where's proof of this? In Daniel 9.24, you guys know this verse. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish transgression, make an end of sins, to make a... At the end, and to anoint the what? Anoint the most high, meaning to turn on all the instruments, all the, the uh, uh, articles of furniture then. Is this clear? Is this clear? Okay. So did Jesus enter the most holy place upon entering heaven to inaugurate this, the heavenly sanctuary? Okay. Now, what's happening is this, and you guys, some of you came out, are we going to talk about 1844? We will talk about this, and, and we'll, this will be a little bit more clear. Okay. Let's look at the second argument, second argument. Okay, this one's a little bit more nerdy, okay? So if you, if you didn't get the first one, don't worry about the second one. But if you like cows, then this is, this is awesome for you, okay? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. And in Greek, the word for holy place does not mean the holy place room, but it means the entire sanctuary, okay? That's another Bible study altogether. Having obtained eternal redemption for us, Basically, what this is saying is Jesus entered into the sanctuary using his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. Okay, now let, let me ask you this. And this, is, this will show you how, this will show me how many of you guys are really nerds or not. <clears throat> what sanctuary sacrifice or what sanctuary ritual required goats and calves specifically? Day of Atonement, Right? Okay, if you guys didn't know that, then you learned something new, okay? David told me it requires specifically goats and calves. And what, 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 what Desmond Ford would say is like, look, Paul's saying is that it's not important about day of atonement language. Here he says Jesus went into the most holy place, not requiring day of atonement animals. Okay, do you guys get that? Some of you get it, some of you not. That's okay, okay? Now what happened is if you look at the Greek, the question to ask is what kind of goats and calves are these? If these are Day of Atonement goats and calves, then Desmond Ford is right. And this is what's amazing. In Greek, the word for goats and calves for Day of Atonement uh, animals is different from uh, inauguration goats and calves. And then the blood that you use to turn them on, same animals, goats and calves. But the Greek word is different. And when you go back to the Greek, guess which word it is? The inauguration goats found in number seven is the word tragos. The day of atonement goats is the Greek word kimaros. When you actually look at the Greek in Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, or was it chapter 10 or chapter 9? Chapter 9, uh, it's the Greek here, tragos, meaning this was not day of atonement goats, but what kind of goats? Inauguration goats. So when Jesus went up to heaven, he turned on all the elements of the sanctuary. He turned on all the lights. Do, 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 do. And actually, after he turned all these things on, he starts his witch ministry, his holy place ministry. And he's doing this for all of us, our behalf. Now, what happens after the holy place um, uh, ministry? Um, there is a judgment 
1844, when Jesus moved from the holy place to the most holy place, the judgment started. A lot of people freak out when they hear the judgment. How many of you love the judgment? I love the judgment. Sometimes, I, when I, oh, not sometimes, when I was little, I thought the judgment was a British judge. <laughs> you guys are thinking, man, he offended French people and German people. Now it's the British turn, okay? In my mind, I thought of like an old, old, wrinkly British man with like, you know, I don't know why British judges have those weird, weird, weird uh, wigs. And they have a black, black, uh, uh, you know, ox, Oxbridge, whatever thing. And they have a, they have a um, gavel. And in my imagination, the judgment was, Justin Kim, stand forth. <laughs> and the books are open. <laughs> Dust falls out. Justin Kim, sins, 22,000. Righteous deeds, one. <laughs> 22,000 minus one is 21,999 sins. Duh, guilty. And you're like, no. And an elevator pops out of nowhere. Ding. And you walk in, there's only one direction. Which direction? Is that your imagination of the judgment? That is the imagination of the judgment for the majority of the world today. Yes or no? Okay, maybe it's not British, but maybe it's like a Japanese judge. I don't know. <laughs> With a beard. <laughs> okay. We know the judgment does not happen uh, in the past or in the future. Well, uh, let's go to the Bible here. Acts chapter 24, verse 25. As Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to what? Meaning in Paul's day, the judgment was in the future. Acts 17.31, he will what? He will judge the future tense. Romans 2.16, God shall judge. The, the, the judgment is in future to Paul's day. Okay? Here you have Daniel chapter 7. This is a chronology. First, you have the Lion of Babylon. You guys know this? Do I have to go over this? Daniel chapter 7. Number two, you have the Bear of Medo-Persia. Three, you have, the, you have Greece. Fourth, you have Rome. Fifth, you have Europe. After Europe, you have the papacy. After the papacy is what? There's a judgment in heaven. After judgment in heaven, there is a what? Second coming. Meaning, this is the chronology of the timeline of events that is to happen. The judgment is happening sometime after Paul's day, but before the second coming of Jesus. If that is clear, please say amen. amen. Okay. Here you have Daniel chapter 8. And here's the French fry of Daniel chapter 8. Okay, I, I, I underlined it here. Verse 16, it says, Gabriel, make this man to what? Understand. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid, and I fell upon my face, and he said unto me, Understand, the Son of Man, for at the time of the end shall be the what? The vision. Now, here's the thing. English is so, so, such a horrible language. There's not enough words, and Hebrew is a lot better than English, okay? So, in Hebrew, there's more words for the word vision, okay? Here, the word for vision, <laughs> word for vision is the word chazon. Repeat after me, chazon, okay? You need to be, Germans, great job, okay? You need to go deep into your throat and clarify cleansing of the, cleansing of the throat uh, out in chazon, Okay. This word chazon means the entire vision, the entire thing. Make sense? Verse 26. Now here's a second vision. 
and the vision of the evening and the morning, and it's the word mare. Repeat after me, mare. Okay? This is also means vision, but this means a smaller vision inside of it. Make sense? Don't get mixed up with this. So what's happening is this. Uh, uh, Daniel's in vision, and God's like, you will see in a lion. Uh-huh, lion, okay, okay, uh-huh. Okay, bear, bear, awesome. bear, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then leopard, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then a bee, whoa, what is that? Dinosaur, dinosaur, whatever, uh-huh. Okay, okay, that's awesome. Okay, then he has a second vision. He has Daniel chapter 8. Whoa, goat, okay, goat, ram, ram, okay, and a small little, oh, what's that little, whoa, big horn, whoa, whoa, oh. and then he's like, this is so awesome, this vision is getting so long, that in the middle of it, he's like, oh, uh, some, of you, some of you are, are going through that right now, uh, you're like, whoa, and then he faints, he what, he faints, and Gabriel's like telling him the story, like, hey, Daniel, <laughs> wake up. Wake up. And the guy had too much. So he's like, hey, understand, understand, understand. So in order to understand chapter 8, we need to study chapter 9. Very good. Chapter 9. Very good. Chapter 9. Verse 27. I, Daniel, fainted, and I was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up. And I pray that none of you get sick certain days after this presentation. Afterward, I rose up, and I did the king's business. And I was astonished at the vision, but what? He didn't understand the second part, the small little part, the moderate. He didn't understand it. Why? Because he was passed out. Amen? You, you understand? Okay, keep going. So Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my, my prayer before the Lord God for, my, for the holy mountain of my God, while I was speaking, and get this, this is a French fry. While I was speaking, while I was speaking in what? Does God answer your prayer sometimes before you even finish praying? Sometimes you're saying, in Jesus' name I pray, and God's like, oh, I already finished answering that. Sometimes God is very, very, very fast. Verse 21, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the beginning, caused to fly, what's the the adverb there? Swiftly. That's an understatement. He did not fly swiftly. He flew like super fast, okay? He touched me about the time of the evening oblation. He informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and what? Understanding. Understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth. I am come to show you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the what? Chazon? No. The matter, the, the smaller part where he, 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 uh, he passed out. So what's going on here? This is the 2300-year prophecy. This is the largest prophecy, and this is a prophecy that every Seventh-day Adventist, you must memorize it like the back of your hand. Like the back of your what? Your hand. Do you know your Social Security number? Oh, no, you don't have a Social Security number here. Do you know your... Let's just keep going, okay? (laughs) Okay. This Bible, Bible prophecy started in 457 B.C. How do we know that? Go to Daniel chapter 9, everybody. Daniel chapter 9. For those of you who know this... You are awesome. For those of you who don't know this, you are not as awesome, but you're still awesome, and Jesus loves you. Okay? Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. We're going to go over this really quickly, because you guys, if you don't know, ask your pastor. And he should know. If your pastor doesn't know, then pray for him. Okay? <laughs> chapter 24, chapter verse, oh, where am I? Chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined. Are what? Determined. That one word determined is so important. 
there are PhDs of theology in Adventist church who have written 800 pages on that one word, determined. Amazing. Determined upon thy people, upon thy holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an innocence, da, 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 all those things we read. Verse 25. Know and therefore and what? Verse 25. Know therefore and? French fry. That from going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, that date is the beginning date. That date is which date? 457 B.C. From this date is the 490-year prophecy, and this ends in this last week between 27 and 34 A.D. This week is the last seven years, not last seven years, the, the last three and a half years of Jesus' life. And this is the foundational anchor of our belief system. Jesus died for our behalf. Amen? Amen. Jesus, the cross is the beginning point and the most important part of our salvation process. But salvation did not end at the cross. It continues on. There's a process going on, but it was made possible by the cross. It is the beginning point of all these things. Now, for every Christian who believes in the cross, every Christian who believes in this date, they have to believe in the 490 years because this anchors Messiah right here in time. And there's this hinge that goes back to 457 B.C. The word decree, uh, the, word, the word determined, means this 490 prophecy is hinged here, here, here off of the larger prophecy of the 2300 days. They both have the same beginning point. So if you believe in Jesus, you get shot back to 457, and the 457 pushes you 2300 years later into what year? 1844. This year is so important because of this reason. I am Korean. I am not Chinese. I am not Japanese. Amen. Amen. You're a Korean brother. Is your last name Kim? No. Oh, you're not that great of a Korean. Oh, it's Lee. That's okay. We'll give you second place in Korea. Okay. If you're Kim Lee apart, there's only three last names in all of Korea. We're not all. Anyway, don't, don't, don't think that we're all. Uh... Anyway, let's go back to the Bible. Okay. I am Korean, and in Korea, we have something called a bathhouse. Okay. In these bathhouses, we have males go to the male section and girls or females go to the female section. Okay, Amen? Yes? That's, that's the way we do it. And when you go in, we Koreans make fun of the rest of the world because we as human beings have an organ called skin. Yes? Skin naturally dies. Yes? And it naturally, you're, like, we are wearing dead skin right now. It's all on, on us. It's just we're dying as we live. We're like zombies with dead skin hanging on us. So what Koreans like to do is they go to these bathhouses and they get all like um, all you know whatever, and then they take something that's akin to sandpaper. It feels like sandpaper, and they go like this. Okay, now it doesn't hurt. There's no bleeding. There's no blood. There's no. There's a little bit of pain going on. Okay, and what happens is it exfoliates your entire body. Ladies, you are familiar with this because with your creams and lotions and, and cosmetic accoutrements, you exfoliate your faces all the time. That's why your faces are beautiful and men are ugly all the time. Okay? <laughs> but, but Koreans exfoliate their skin. And what happens is, because Koreans exfoliate their skin all the time, just a little bit of skin comes off here and there. But when a Westerner, Westerner comes to Korea and says, I'm going to experience this. And then this person comes, they're scrubbing, and you're completely... You're com there's no privacy in Korea, you understand. You're, you're you know, holy places everywhere, okay? <laughs> you, when you do this, 
you get rolls of dead skin, skin cells falling off you. Rolls of it. And what happens is some people have been known to lose kilos from dead skin cells just on you. And then you go like this on your elbows, on your knees, on your neck, and just, just nasty, nasty, dirty Western people, you know, all around. <laughs> I'm being facetious. Do you still love me? I'm just using this as a story. But what happens is this. Your skin is now fresh. It's revitalized. Your skin pores are like super big. And then when you leave, you sweat easier because your, 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 your pores are now all open. And you're probably all thinking like, man, I want to I do that. Okay? It's a horribly painful experience because your blood is just circulating and you're like red. You're raw when you come out. Now, what happens is this. Imagine that all of us go to this bed, uh, bathhouse, okay? Not, not together. <laughs> I don't, don't want to see your holy places either, okay? <laughs> we go there, and every person who leaves this bathhouse, are they clean? Are they clean? And what happens is, if you do this, it's you're super squeaky clean. You're like super, super clean, okay? So every person who leaves this bathhouse is a clean human being, but what's dirty? After, and it's actually a table like this. You lay on it, and then it's a ladies, there's this humongous, you know, big lady, and if it's a man, you have a humongous man, and they're just scrubbing away. They're scrubbing away, and when you leave, you're, you're, you're all clean or whatever, but what's remaining on the table and on the floor is what? Your dirty sins. Yeah? Let's not call it a bathhouse. Let's call this the sanctuary. You come to the sanctuary, you leave the sanctuary, and you are what? You're you're squeaky clean. The blood of Jesus is a very highly disinfectant material. Amen? It cleanses you of your sin. You are white when you come out. White like the righteousness of the saints, white. Okay, not white like Caucasian white because, anyway. You you understand what I'm saying? Okay. (laughs) Oh, man. So what happens here is now, even though you're clean, what's dirty? The sanctuary's dirty. There are 360 days in a year, yes, in the, in the Jewish calendar. For 359 days of the year, all our sins go into the sanctuary, all of them. I sin, my sin gets transferred to the lamb, the lamb, get, lamb sins get transferred to the blood. The blood, transfer is, blood is transferred to, uh, transferred to the priest because the priest is carrying it. The priest goes inside the holy place and then sprinkles this blood, and essentially the blood is being transferred into the sanctuary. And this veil is a thick veil. The veil is not some thin, white lace, okay? It is a, it's the thickness of a man's hand. It's a very thick, velvety covering. And this is the most holy place covering. I don't know about you, but when I see the sanctuary, I think of this as like, uh, like a house. You have on the outside, you have God's barbecue, God's swimming pool. In the living room, you have God's dining table, God's chandelier, God's ginormous air freshener. <laughs> okay? And here you have God's, God's living area. Now, for me, in my house, the most holiest place in my house is my bedroom. And in my bedroom, it's my, it's, it's my, it's my pillow. I love my pillow. My pillow always needs to be clean. I don't like to have hair on it or dandruff or lice. It needs to be completely, completely clean. Now, how would you think I would react 
that if I invited you over my house, and after spending the whole day at GYC, that you have your fungi, bacterial, infested feet, and you come into my bedroom, and you place your feet on my pillow. How do you think I would feel? I would chop your feet off. (laughs) God essentially is saying, hey, this is my house, but he opens himself up. He what? He opens himself up, and he uses his house as the medium to save the universe. And he says, of of this beautiful veil here, he says, let's put all the sins of the world on this veil. Now, the, the 359 uh, days, it goes in, sins, in, 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 in. And on one day, the sins go what? Out, out, out. When you sin and you ask for forgiveness, your sin does not disappear. Did you know that? Lord, I sinned. Uh, Lord, forgive me. Poof. That's not what happens. Sin is always transferred. It's always what? And transfer is always made possible by the shedding of blood. So my sin is transferred from me to who? To Jesus. And then Jesus transfers his sin to the sanctuary. And a sanctuary is essentially a symbolism of back to to Jesus, right? Now all the sins get, get together. And just imagine in this bathhouse, imagine all the dead skin cells of all of us put together. All of it. Just let's put it in a little box. Actually, there's some dirty people in here. Maybe like an entire container, like <laughs> sweat and salt particles and just nasty, you know. And God says, on one day, we're not going to clean the people. We're going to clean the entire sanctuary. We're going to cleanse the sanctuary. Daniel eight fourteen until two thousand three hundred days. Then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And on this one day, this is a day where the entire sins of the universe will be transferred, where all the sins are going in, 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 in. The day of atonement is a day where the sins go out. And on this day, this is called the judgment, where Jesus is not a British judge, but he is a biblical judge. You know what a biblical judge is? There's a whole book called the Book of, and these judges are not British, amen? They don't have wigs, amen? They don't have gavels, amen? But they're defending God's people. They're what? Jesus' role as a judge is to defend God's people and say, look, Lord, don't, don't, don't do this because, hey, my blood is here. Forgive this, but my blood is here. This person is clean. My blood is here. And Jesus is making a case for all of us. That is Jesus' role. And what happens is in the judgment, He goes through all the names throughout history. At a certain point, it moves from those who are dead and moves to the names of the living. And then he goes to the names of the living. And after that, when he's done, when Jesus is done in the most holy place, what happens? Does he move to the third room? Is there a little like little doghouse room that he goes into for the third? No, there's a dead end. There's nothing here. So meaning he turns around and where is he going? He's going out, and he's coming back where? Outside to this earth where we are at. We don't know when this judgment ends, but it is not happening in the past. It does not happen in the future. It's happening, right? Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14. 
Revelation 14, 14 verse 7. This is the first angel. It says, Fear God, give glory to Him. You've heard this before, yes? For the hour of His judgment, what? Is come right now. It's happening right now. So when someone asks, what is Jesus doing right now? What is the right answer? He's judging us. Now, is that judging in terms of a British judge? What is judge, a biblical definition of judging? He's defending us right now. He's, he's attributing His blood upon our names. Let's keep on going here. Three angels, we read this. There are three phases of the judgment. You have the investigative judgment, the millennial judgment, and the executive judgment. And I was super confused. The investigative judgment is for the entire universe. It's not for us. We do not know the repercussions of the investigative judgment. We don't know. But it's for all the other people out there. It's for the Vulcans and the Klingons and the Ewoks and the Martians and the, and the Jupiterites and all these other aliens out there. They're wondering, what's, how, what will happen to this person? And, and, and God's opening these books in front of thousands and ten thousands of people. But there's us, and hopefully it's all of us in this room. There is something called a what? The millennial judgment, where God chooses to save, and we go upstairs to heaven for a thousand years. According to the, I forget if it's 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, verse 10, verse, chapter 10, verse 1, that we will judge the world. We will judge the world. Not because we're super awesome. It's because we were not part of the investigative judgment. God says, hey, now it's your turn to open the books, and you'll see what's going on. In my imagination, I, I, you know, my grandmother is such a holy person. She prays for us all day. She's the matriarch of our family. She's a small little Asian lady. She smiles everywhere she goes. She memorizes spirit of prophecy. She memorizes the Bible. She memorizes, like, everything in the world. Like, she's so awesome of a person. And then she, she refuses to eat veggie meat. She only eats, eats real meat. And she calls it, and we won't talk about her. Anyway, she, if she is not in heaven, I would have some questions to ask. Right? And God say, okay. And what God does is he's opening himself up, the judgment is not the judgment of us. Amen? It's the judgment of God. And we live in a day where we demand accountability, where we demand openness. In America, at least, we are super angry at all the companies out there that make more money because of this financial crisis. We demand that their finance books be open, and we want to investigate what's going on. The Catholic Church has all these church scandals. We demand, did you know what was going on? Governments are going through all these scandals. We demand to know what's going on. And throughout all, God says, you know what? I'm opening myself up. And he says, Justin, go to the basement and get your, your grandmother's DVD. So I go downstairs. I'm going to imagine in a thousand years, I come out with this like super golden DVD. And I put it into the golden DVD player. And out comes a panoramic HD DTTV, you know, 3D dimensional experience. And we see my grandmother's life in like three seconds. <laughs> Like, whoa. And then, we, and then I realized, man, my grandmother was praying for me. She went to church. But when I wasn't looking, she, like, killed all these people. She was, like, best friends with Adolf Hitler. And, like, she was, like, she was emailing, had a dating experience with Osama bin Laden. Like, I'm like, wow. I didn't know about these things. And I will say, God, you are loving and you are just. Amen? And then I'll look around in heaven and I'll be like, Dude, that guy looks like Adolf Hitler. <laughs> hey, what's your name? My name is Justin. My name is Adolf Hitler. <laughs> what in the world? What's this dude doing here? 
So God will say, go down to the basement and get up Adolf Hitler's DVD. I'll go downstairs, get the DVD, pop it into the DVD player. And I was like, whoa. On his deathbed, he's like, Lord, I am so sorry for all the things I've done. I want to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian now, right now. And I'm like, please, uh, forgive me for all my sins. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. That's so, am I saying Adolf Hitler will be saved? No. Please don't go leave here and think I'm, no, 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 no. The, the millennial judgment is for who? It's for us. The third component, the executive judgment. I had a hard time with this. The executive judgment says that when God comes down after the thousand years, the new Jerusalem comes to heaven and he resurrects the dead. Did you have any of you had a problem with this? He resurrects the, 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 the wicked. And I'm thinking, look, in my mind, if I don't like someone, if I were God, I don't like you. Die. Rise. Die. Rise. Die. Rise. Die. You know, I think in different ways to kill and resurrect, kill and resurrect, kill and resurrect. Horrible, sadistic pastor, isn't he? Yes, he is. And I'm thinking, God, are you doing the same thing? Why are you resurrecting the wicked and then killing them again? What's happening at the executive judgment is this. God resurrects all the wicked, and it, these guys don't know. Oh, man, this is horrible. I need a laser thing. These guys don't know what, what happened to them. They're just waking up for the first time, and they don't understand the justice and the mercy of God. And then they all, they're, they're all resurrected, and they look around, and they see the new Jerusalem, and what happens is there's a war going on. And this war is not a war, and I see these cartoons that a lot of these Adventist cartoons make. This war is like nuclear bombs and machine guns. Hello, what is a machine gun going to do against new Jerusalem? This is not a military war. By the way, there was a war in heaven, amen? Revelation 12. This war was not machine guns then either, nor was it lightsabers, Amen? Okay, this war was a war of words. A war of what? Words. And then, and then when, when, when the executive judgment happens, there will be another war of words going back. And from this point on, all the wicked will completely understand their position and why the decisions were made. And they'll be completely, they'll, they'll say, God, you are just and you are merciful and I still will not choose to, uh, to choose your side. They'll completely understand what's going on. And God says, then out of mercy, I will put you out of your misery. And then boom, executive judgment is completed. The Bible says, all will kneel and bow and see that God is just and merciful. Three components of, 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 justice, uh, of judgment. God opens himself. This is, the, this is the message of the day of atonement. Amen? God opens himself. Jesus is open. He wants the whole world to know his character. Jesus could have easily said, you know what? Satan, what? Bam! Reboot. But he doesn't. He's actually playing through the events in history. And this is how God's character is revealed through time. If you guys are scared of the judgment, there are theologians out there, because they're so scared, they say the judgment does not occur. They deny the judgment. But rather deny the judgment, get to know the judge. Amen? Get to know the judge, because he's a pretty good judge. Amen? And he's, he's on your side. 
Daniel 7.22, just two more, two more sections here and we're done. Judgment was given to the saints. In Hebrew, it says given in favor of the saints. Judgment is looking for the positive components in a defensive mode rather than offending. And lastly, our assurance is in Romans 8.34. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that dies, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes what? Intercession for us. This is our Jesus. The same guy who died for you is also judging us. 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things write unto you, that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Today, are you happy about the good news of the judgment? If you have your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have nothing to be worried about. If you have problems, tell the Lord Jesus. If you have sins, tell the Lord Jesus. If you have addictions, tell the Lord Jesus. If you have secrets, tell the Lord Jesus. And he'll make all these, he'll, he'll work these things out for you. Amen? Are you confident in the Adventist message? Are you confident that the Adventist message is a natural progression of the Christian gospel out there? It is, a, it is Christianity 2.0. It is a, not another gospel. It is a natural, uh, natural ear of Christianity. Amen? I don't know what ear is. I used ear. How many of you want to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we ask. Well, Lord, before we ask, we do thank you. And Lord, I, I pray that if there's been anything of my presentation that is out of character with, with, with the will of heaven, I ask for forgiveness. And Lord, no, Lord, I know you will forgive, but Lord, also undo those mistakes. But Father, we've, we've, we've attempted to base everything out of scripture. And Lord, after this study, I've had, and hopefully my brothers and sisters have had, a clearer picture of the Lord Jesus on who he is, what he's doing, where he is, and the times that we're living in. But Lord, at the end, may we be more like Jesus as a result. May we be completely open, completely sincere, completely loving, completely just and merciful as well. Father, have patience with us. Have mercy upon us. Remove all fear from our minds and grant us a level of confidence that's not elitist, but a boldness that's willing to go out into the world and to bring people out of a falling system that you call Babylon. This is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. GYC are supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.